0: That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program was brought to you by Emmy Cheese, specialty cheese from Switzerland made with heart and passion. For more information, visit meusa.com. Meat and 3 is Heritage Radio Network's weekly food news roundup. This week on Meet and 3, we're bringing you highlights from Feast Portland, like our chat with the one and only Andrew Zimmern.
2: I'm super excited to be here because for people who do what I do for a living, we do tons of, you know, desk side chats and podcasts and interviews and stuff like that. And you circle the handful of ones in a year where you get to talk with people that you're really excited about talking with. So this is this is awesome.
1: We picked up on some recurring themes while talking to our impressive roster of guests, including the current state of Portland's food scene, personal identity, and, believe it or not, the influence of great chefs' grandmothers. Meemaw never touched a drop of booze in her life and now has a distillery named after her. But I grew up in her garden and just really, she taught me all good things come from scratch and women can be anyone they want to be. So tune in for this week's extra special episode subscribe to Meet and 3 wherever you get your podcasts.
2: To the Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guest is Master Sommelier Joshua Nadell. We'll talk to Josh about wine, hospitality, becoming a master som, and a lot more. We'll taste a Verdicchio that Josh brought in from the Limarchi region of Italy. I'm your host, Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us on the Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. All right. Josh Nadell is a master sommelier and the beverage director for Andrew Carmelini's NoHo Hospitality Group. He spent nearly a decade as head sommelier at revered and award-winning restaurants Veritas and Crew in New York City before joining Carmelini in 2009. Josh oversees the beverage and wine programs at restaurants like La Conda Verde, The Dutch, Lafayette, Bar Primi, Luca, Rye Street Tavern in Baltimore, and a bunch more. Josh launched Gothic Wine, his wine company, in 2009, producing Cool Climate, Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, and Rosé from the Willamette Valley in Oregon. Welcome to the show, Josh. Glad to be here. All right, so let's give people an idea. I gave a little uh, tip-off in the intro, but give us a quick background on your journey in life and wine that got you to where you are current. Which is the beverage director for pretty much a restaurant empire? Sure, sure. Um, I'll fast forward
3: to maybe high school or college. But, okay. Um, my, I guess probably. Hopefully, that's where it started. My, uh, my father was a bartender, dining room cater waiter guy in the borscht belt and the cat's Really? Yeah, got yeah, kind of dirty dancing style. What?
2: And, um, Do you remember hotels?
3: It may have been the Raleigh okay. uh, of, of that ilk. Classic, right. um, yeah. And and so there was always kind of a undercurrent of that being around and okay. The rest, of, all of my family are educators, actually. Um, whether it be principals, administrators in education, teachers, English, Spanish, math—literally, it's it's uncanny. Even my sister is a speech pathologist. Wow. Not, but so it's kind of there's something in the DNA. And my first job as a, you know, past, like, babysitting and washing cars was um, at a bagel shop. Okay. And then as a cater waiter, uh, senior year, my dad said, I'm going to teach you how to carry a tray because it might come in handy one day. So we put on tuxedos and, you know, went up to the catering halls of Westchester and New Jersey and that kind of stuff. So um, I went to art school. I have a degree in fine arts and drawing and printmaking uh, from SUNY Purchase in Westchester. Fine? So, so, Wait.
2: Drawing and printmaking, lithography, lithography,
3: and and so it's Jesus. it came so in, far. Nothing points to anything, <laughs> but no. But it came in the tray carrying came in real handy okay. after <laughs> that. Um, so it was kind of let's try to maybe be uh, you know eat some Campbell soup and rice and be an artist, maybe be a teacher. And in order to do that, um, and go back to grad school, I actually was going to go to the university, university of Glasgow. They have a great printmaking wow. school, and I was working in restaurants to save money for tuition and. After about a year, I just I worked at a restaurant called Ruby Foo's on 77th and Broadway. That's Steve Hanson. Yeah, yeah. For, for the you know there was there was a time not so long ago where that was those were hits. You know Blue Water Grill, Broadway Ruby Upper Foo, West, because he and Broadway. opened
2: close to Broadway Midtown.
3: Yeah, Midtown's the first one, not a place I right. you know, go that much. So, no. um, and uh, I had a girlfriend at Barnard at the time. It was perfect. Um, and uh, so they had actually a really great culture of education there. And an unusual wine list. It was kind of when the term pan-Asian was a, a buzzword in cuisine. So we had all the Burgundy and German wine and this kind of weird stuff. And I get really interested. And my friends there who were kind of my mentors as servers were also very into was it was Laura
2: Maniac there La- then Laura, or La- came after
3: La- Laura Maniac I she trailed I was a server trainer and she trailed me as a prospective employee ah, so I'm dating myself a good timeline yeah and, and now we are we're brother and sister we're best yeah. of friends um she really is one of my closest friends and then you know through my journey as a, trying to go for the ms she was very helpful and, and mentor sure. to me so um yeah so we I, I that kind of one thing led to another and um, as I had enough year for, I had enough money for one year of tuition. Um, I, I did a little work as a harvest assistant when I got into wine out in Napa Valley. I worked a few weeks of a crush, came back to New York, to save money. And just as I was going to get ready to take the dive to the university of Glasgow, um, I was working as kind of like a, you know, a sommelier wine person, uh, at a midtown steakhouse restaurant. Tuscan um, Steak. Yeah, for China Grill Management. That's right. On, on four,
2: the east side. 40th in the 40s, and yeah. That's
3: right, yeah. Um, big, big place. Huge. Yeah, yeah. huge place. Um, three-wing circus, the whole thing. Um, I cold faxed faxed my resume to Veritas Restaurant faxed. as a 24, 23 or 24-year-old eager, you know, ambitious kid. And the wine director there took a huge chance on me.
2: But, but stop for a second. Yeah. You realized and recognized Veritas was like the happening.
3: It was the the, the greatest one. And program. you just
2: aspired, you know. The let world. me fax this guy something. See you know, if I, get... I, I
3: had gone in and applied as I mean, a that's waiter. That's kind of ballsy, right? Well, I had gone in and applied at a waiter as, as about six months prior, okay, and got no callback, no nothing. Just dropped off a resume and they probably mm. circle filed it immediately. And there it was. It was a friend of mine who was working at Mesa Grill. Her name was Dominique Bell. Her name is Dominique Bell, uh, one of those mentors to me. Um, worked at Mesa Grill and said, hey, there's this restaurant Veritas that's looking for an assistant sommelier. My sales rep from such and such company just told me you should fax your resume. And it had on it, you know, server trainer, Ruby Foos, assistant teacher at the Dalton School. Um, and like, who kn- who knows what? And, and my current uh, wine director job at the time, had right. sommelier job at the time. One page, eight and a half by eleven, Nothing. times Times New Roman in font. You so know. you said they took a chance. They, yeah, he, he, not they. This guy, Tim Kopek, who is Tim is he's,
2: he's big blonde mane of hair. Yeah, he's one of the guy. most
3: charismatic um, people I've ever met in service and capable and just. I still repeat some things that he said. He to hired me. you. He hired me, and and uh, it was a very long interview, and he took a chance on me, and I, I owe him a tremendous amount
2: um, for where what I am do you today. Think. You said it was a long interview. Yep. What do you think the connection was? Was it your passion? You had a decent amount of knowledge up until that time. You were a good guy. I mean, what what do you think? Swung I think it he, I think he saw in me somebody willing to
3: work very hard, not looking to do things my way because I had no idea what that was. Um, really interested in learning. Um, and I think he was going away on a vacation in about two and a half weeks. <laughs> Good timing, right? <laughs> and so he needed someone really badly. And, it, and the other soulmate at the time was very strong, Eric Zillier. So they could take a chance on somebody who was a little more intro.
2: So you do that for? Four
3: years. And then you move to? Then I took a little bit of time off. You I did? actually spent a few months for a startup kind of techie distributor, kind of like just trying to, trying to disrupt the model a little bit. That, that blew up spectacularly. Um, and then I found my way to crew, um, who really at the time was hit, really hitting its stride as the other great wine destination in the United States. And I spent, uh, you know, three or four years there.
2: Incredible. Uh, it was, I it mean, was, the two places I mean, combined I, had the greatest Burgundy and Bordeaux and everything in between. Yeah, I, I am. Who was not, that? Not uh, a day
3: goes by that I'm not appreciative and, and that I don't. I never take it for granted that I was very fortunate to be in those two places at the specific times when I was there. It was the gr- it had when, a lot to Veritas do. When Veritas's list was the best, I was there. When Cruise list, I
2: was Who there. Who was a crew when you there were there? Was Robert uh, Boer there? Boer
3: was there. You know, he he was a little more of a managing partner by the time I got there. Right. The restaurant had been fully baked. Not um, a floor guy. Yeah, either. he was. He's definitely there and yeah. worked the floor a lot. But um, you know, he had Somay as myself, Michelle Couvreau, Alex Miranda. We uh, were there. John Slover was doing a lot of the uh, administration uh, and, and nuts and bolts of running so the So, you cellar. do
2: that for three years, and what happens? This leads to really what you're doing now.
3: Well, there was a strong, there was a little blip in there. And after that period of time, there was always someone above me on the food chain Tim Kopeck, Robert Bohr, and whoever it was. And I said, it's time to kind of make my own reign a little bit. So, when the Plaza Hotel reopened, uh, when they opened the Oak Room and the Oak Bar. They had a huge wine budget, and um, it was actually Robert who hooked me up with the people there. He said, maybe this is an opportunity for you. And, I mean, it was an epic disaster. The people were unethical, um, bad hmm. operators. The did people oper- operating the Oak Room. Did you walk away from it? It was a. It was a <laughs> kind of like a... There was a lot of F-bombs dropped at the final conversation. I don't remember who said what to who first, <laughs> God. but it, it was horrifying. <laughs> that but good. it was it was a very stressful time for everybody. We opened two weeks before the market crashed in mm. 2008. I mean, we literally opened like October 1st or the last week of September. So 10 days in, it was 800 points, 800 points. Um, so it was hard. It was hard. And I remember actually you mentioned Laura Manok. I called her one day in March. And I said, "Listen, this job sucks. I would rather be taking the garbage out at the bagel shop when I was 16 just to be happy. I'm just going to move to California. I'm going to work a couple of harvests um, and just kind of see what happens." And she said, "Listen, I just closed three restaurants. I just laid off 400 people. So shut up. You know, be This is when she you're your Hansen, right? Um, yeah. yeah. You know, you know, understand how fortunate you are to have a job. Deal with it in whatever way you know how to deal with." And uh, it was an interesting conversation. But eventually, you know, later on that spring, it was just like, kind of like, F you, F you, you know, here are the keys.
2: And uh, so, how does the, the no ho Carmelite? Oh, right. Of- so,
3: so, Josh Picard, uh, who I've heard of, was a senior partner there, um, calls me, and we knew each other from the biz. And he. He just kind of, he, he softballed, soft-souled, this kind of thing I'm doing with this guy. Do you ever heard of this guy, Andrew Carmelini? Um, the program's a little small. Maybe we can do like AGM slash beverage director, of course, the the slash. Um, and uh, it, it worked out, it worked out real well. And, and I was, said, I'm gonna give this one, I'm gonna give New York one, I'm born and raised here, proud as all hell to be a New Yorker. But at the time, the the world was ending, sky was falling. Right. So I said, I'll give New York one more try. You know, line up with Carmelini. If, if I'm if am not if it's not going to work with Carmelini and Picard and these guys, then I got to do something else.
2: And you have an ex, you have a good reason to leave town. Yeah, you exactly, exactly. So that was Lucan de Verde. Yep. All right. That so we'll, we'll come back to April, that yeah. So 2009, yep. um, and from 2009 till now. In a few minutes, we'll talk about you know how things progressed and all that. Um, but like I said, I want to come back to that. I want to talk to you about being a master sommelier. Um, I know they just announced the new batch. Yep. Um, but you were recently uh, minted master som late last year, so it should still be pretty fresh in our mind. And yes. it, I think you're the fifth master psalm. I think we've had four master psalms on and one master of wine. Oh, cool! Yeah, Pascaline but, I saw yeah. No, yeah, Pascaline, but uh, Isabel Legeron, I think, is a master of wine okay. who runs that whole raw wine movement and all that. Um, but I, I don't get into it that heavily. But I think it would be interesting to talk with you because, you know, it was that big climb. It just happened. You achieved it, yeah, and yeah. it should be somewhat fresh in your mind. Give give people an idea. <laughs> the type of time and commitment you put in to achieve this certification? Sure, sure. Um, the first couple, there are four
3: levels of the exam, and, and, and when I was taking it, there were actually only three. Um, and, you know, if you're working in service, the first two are... Should be at least that. Yeah, the first, the first two are relatively not easy, but attainable Um if you were working with wine on the floor of a restaurant,
2: you know... If, if you give a crap, you'll
3: yeah, get Yeah, yeah. Right. I think the first two are... You know, the first one is actually an introductory course. It's not even called sommelier because it's just a, a multiple-choice exam. But, you know, in the beginning, I, I wasn't really working in an environment that really not necessarily wasn't supportive of, but they did, there was no reason at Crew and Veritas to be doing this because you had the greatest wines of the world. You either knew them or you didn't, and you could serve right. them or you couldn't. Um but then when I started into it, I, I took the advanced level three times, and on the master exam, six times. And that had a lot to do, again, with my background, which was the first 10 years of being a sommelier, I tasted Pinot Grigio and Malbec five times, right? <laughs> I was drinking Latache and, and Grand Cru This and Grape Barolo, and <laughs> it sounds really shitty and bratty, but it's just what it was, and... I was okay with that. Um, so it took me a while. And, and there are three portions of the exam. There's a practical service examination, a theory examination, and tasting. Break just before you go
2: forward. Break quickly with each.
3: Sure. So the tasting exam is a uh, six wines, three whites and three reds. And you have 25 minutes to identify about 30 points of analysis in each wine, which which is sight, uh, nose, palate, and then conclusions. And palate, for example, is flavors, structure, tan acid alcohol, um, intensity of certain things, and to the point where it's a deductive
2: tasting process and you, you kind of put all your clues in a box. So you're just shooting out black current, cloudy, you know. Well, there's
3: kind of a, a, a little bit of uh, a mantra uh, there. And, 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 and it's, it's, it's not a... It's not a uh, subjective thing. It's a grid with points, and an albarino right. is this. And if you say it, an albarino has medium acid, and it's gridded by the master solmiase as medium plus, you don't get the point. Really? Yeah, and, and a classic albarino has this, this, and this. Right. And it looks like this on the grid. So you have six of those. Um, You've. So you're f- sitting
2: across with six glasses
3: with yeah, uh, another th- master sommelier. Three usually scoring, so they don't three. miss anything. Okay. Sometimes there's even a fourth auditing or something like that, um, and you have 25 minutes, and it's just, you know, Mr. Nadell, welcome again, good to see you. You've got a bottle of water in front of you, and this is your time. The clock starts when the. So that that's the yeah, tasting. Yeah, that's that's, that's tasting. one of the three yeah. next. Um, then you have the theory, which is. 150 or so, I think it might be a little more, a little less, 150 uh, that, and that questions, uh, oral exam. It's a test. That it could be, it's two masters only sitting across from you, and it's just, you know, what is the this? Or please do Is this, it oral back and forth? Or, it's it's oral, not but, a written. Yeah, it's oral back and forth. It makes it quite a bit, quite a bit so, more difficult. So and it's save. anything about wine, spirits, beverage, um, any kind of alcohol. There aren't any questions about cigars or anything like that right. anymore, or, or really any let's say coffee or tea or anything like that, but but spirits, wine, beer, anything. Being a
2: master sommelier, you have to be prolific in beverage, spirits, yep. all of that. If stuff. it's just
3: wine, you won't get through. Right. Yeah. Um so I mean it could be absolutely anything mezcal, uh, bourbon, uh, sour beer and and every wine law, anything that could possibly appear on a label, elevations, you know, do you have mastery of that subject? If if you're talking about uh, Fiano di Avellino which is a, a fantastic wine from Southern Italy and Campania do you know the soil do you know what elevations do you know the the things that impact the the terroir the intrinsic kind of characters of that grape and what makes it what it is right of any subject in the world of beverage and then you have the practical uh, or the service exam and that's split into two pieces. There's the business of, of a sommelier, which is inventory, pricing, costing, how to financially run a program successfully. That's a written exam. There's some tastings in there and things like that. That's a timed exercise. And then you go into the room and you perform service, which is about another 45 minutes, which simulates a restaurant environment. Right. And, and uh, that's that's – Hopefully, a lot of fun. uh
2: It's very nerve wracking. Watch uh, very closely. Yeah. There's, you know, you got to serve on the right. You can't drop a champagne glass. Co- you, you know, there's.
3: It's food and wine pairing, service, and service could be anything. There could be any scenario. Answering questions. Yo, like yeah. Like yeah. they'll ask
2: you, you know, what's. While a,
3: you're pouring something. I didn't want that, or actually, my friend doesn't want that. Now, pour, it, it's. You know, I'm only allowed to describe the exam to, to such an acute degree, but. Um, it, it is absolutely anything that could possibly happen in a restaurant at the highest level.
2: So a good way for people to connect to that, let's just talk about Uncorked for a minute. Sure. There's a third Psalm movie coming out. These I are think mo- it's, Yeah, I think it's out. It's, yeah. it's happening now. Yeah. These are movies about the whole Psalm you know, test process and the people. But a few years ago, there was a TV series called Uncorked, of which there were six Psalms. You were one of the featured. And... They show every test.
3: Yeah, they well, they show they, they're not allowed into the exam rooms, but well, they, they show, show the the, the preparation and the practice. Right, but what yeah. the
2: service looks like and sitting across for yeah. all. Of-
3: I felt it did it did a pretty good job of, of capturing our personalities. The um, yes, you know the preparation. I think it did a decent job capturing. You know when I would study for theory. I would sit there for, you know, three or four hours before work, a couple hours after work on my days off. I'd study for eight to ten hours a day without getting up from a, from the chair ever. I wish there was like a time-lapse thing on it. It was just kind of – I was a little relentless with the, with the
2: theory. That was kind of my thing. In the, yeah. in the end, and looking back, you had to be.
3: Yeah, the theory is very difficult. Yeah. Very difficult. Um, the
2: TV show was fun. Yeah, so I think – I forgot who – if it's, you know uh, – Netflix or whoever. I think
3: it's on the Esquire Network.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But somebody's carrying it. But it's yeah. called Uncorked, and you'll see Josh and five really other wonderful people, the intensity of that test. So all in, it took you, what? About 10 years. I mean, because intro
3: and hap- intro happened pretty quickly. Then I took Advanced 3 and then Master 6, and there was one year in between at some
2: point. So you know, it's 10, 11 years. I never asked anybody this, and it's sort of none of my business. But... Shoot. the amount of bread you have to put into this money i mean you have to it's travel serious. i mean you're not that you, yeah. a big part of what you're making is feeding this yeah. test because yeah. if you're called to st louis or maryland and then I, I, how about aspen
3: aspen aspen was five five master exams in aspen and then the sixth that i actually passed was in st louis did so, you? so it's it's a week off of work, hotel room, flight, travel, crazy, and then the practice and the wines. Yeah, it's legit. And
2: you took the MS six, right? So I've, six trips. Yeah, you reset,
3: and or I should say you re- You get three chances to pass all three parts, and if you don't, you reset to zero. It's right. like you, you right. Don't go to don't pass go. Which go is and to uncorked
2: jail. too. I mean, it, yeah. if you really want to know the behind the scenes, watch Psalm one and uh, watch uncorked, and you'll see Josh. Um, all right, so. That's sort of that process. I mean, really in a nutshell, because it's like 19 years of, sure, you know, Yeah, we've, only, we've only got of, an hour. Yeah, so, you yeah. know. Um, but it, it's one thing to be a psalm, in your case, at one restaurant, uh, which a lot of people do. It's another thing where you're overseeing a program at a uh, pretty happening busy company, NoHo and Andrew Carmelini, um, places like I said, like Locanda Verde, Bar Premi, Little Park, Lafayette. Talk to me as best as you can, because I know every day differs. Yeah. But w- what are you doing every day? I mean, you, you got a crew at every place, inventory. I, I mean, are you on the floor? Just give it, me an idea. It literally depends on the
3: day, and I can I can tell you that we are so proud of our programs, and we have such an amazing beverage team. On uh, at NoHo, it's 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 fantastic. You know, we we go out to. But that's
2: a kudo to you. You've assembled a team, right? I guess.
3: Yeah, yeah. I I, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. That's very
2: kind of you to say. It's important.
3: Yeah. Yeah. um, But I could be literally doing anything from receiving a delivery and. taking Schlepp bags in the of, boxes and down. taking, taking a thousand pounds of ice off the loading dock and filling an ice machine. And I'm that I have done that in the past month that I, I in a I, suit <laughs> and it's not that I, you know, there's, I'm a New Yorker, so I have a little chip on my shoulder about it, but that's not what I want to be doing. Um, or I could be sitting in an office and building a beverage program for, you know, for example, a property we're opening in Detroit um, right. uh, this winter. So, right now, we're building programs, training materials, and, and we're getting hot on deliverables for that. Um, working the floor because um, it's going to be a busy night and it's going to be fun. And,
2: and How I want to let you land determine some extra support. Working yeah. the floor. Like, if you know. Well, I think first phase like is... Like all these restaurants, why would you be at Locanda versus, right. you know, Premi? Right. Well, for,
3: I think first layer of the onion is the do you, do you need a pinch hitter, is someone on okay. vacation. Are we short So somebody? you're always yeah. in the bullpen. I'm always on the bed. Yeah, I'm always right. in the on bullpen the and warm. Right. I'm always warm. Right. Um, and then it could just be kind of a, you know, Saturday night in, in September at Lafayette. If it's a nice night, that place is going to be cranking. And, and they've got, you know, if 90 seats are rolling on the porch or at Little Park, if they're Super busy, and what they're doing with with their food right now, I think it's going to be a, a really amazing fall for them. And yeah. that could be a situation where maybe they, um, if the bar is hopping, that they have a cocktail bar called called Evening Bar on the other side of the hotel. So the bar is going, and the dining room's got two two and a half full turns. I want to be there,
2: right? And it's it's that's the good stuff. So even though you're a fancy pants master sommelier, <laughs> you're still schlepping ice. You're still working the floor, yep. but you get into heady stuff like you know planning the opening.
3: Build, them. build, yeah. I'm, am In the last couple of years, I've gotten really into uh, working a little more with designers and trades, building, building everything, building the bars, building the stations, uh, storage things like that. Yeah.
2: So before we move off of that, what's what's the largest? and or the prestige wine program in New York. For, my, for, for, our, you, for our programs? you guys,
3: yeah. Um, I think, well, before we get to that, I wanted to say one other thing that I do that I, that I think is important is that I, I find myself working directly more with importers now, you know, when I take meetings and stuff like that, and um, that's been a real helpful thing to managing programs that may be in different states or, or larger volumes and things like that. Right. That's it. So I find myself rather than I taste a lot of wine, but more often than not, I'm tasting wines with importers rather
2: than just right. the distributors. You're doing which is that kind of, more than you've done in the yeah, past. Yeah. Yeah.
3: So, um, our programs are, are really interesting and they're, they're very different. One of the things that we're super proud of is the presentation of our programs. If you walk into any of our restaurants and you look at the wine lists, particularly what we've done at the Dutch Locanda and Lafayette—they're—they're um, they're educational without being boring. Um, we've got incredible—you um, know—points of geographical references, maps, little tidbits, recommendations, and um, guests seem to like them very much. They—that they, we get a lot of great comments so on them. There's some thought behind yeah, the I,
2: entries I, and all that. Yeah, they're
3: pretty it's cool. Fun,
2: educational.
3: Yeah, they're—they're they're pretty cool, and 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 I think. Locanda has the deepest cellar. In fact, we just invested a little bit of extra coin into that program for for that program on the Dutch this year um, for some older wines, really with a focus at Loconda in, in Piedmont.
2: Yeah, um, I would think people would want to come in and look for an old Barolo or something. Well, They'd expect you to it's, have something. You know,
3: it is with all... Yeah, it's uh,
2: it's my... Favorite wine, so uh, that, that's a yeah. But we fun thing to stock up. Yeah, on, yeah. Right? So,
3: so you know, we don't have the kind of Maialino Del Posto situation going on there, but we really took a look at the success and the request of our guests and and that's what they want so we're gonna it's really really extraordinary the list is actually going to be live in the next 10 days or so the list is looking amazing and then the dutch we did the same thing the dutch last year uh with a little more old uh american wine a little you know it's an all-american program there. yeah so we put some library stuff together
2: right um what's the uh funkiest a little park, global. and and and, and it's I, I'm because not because of the food and the type. It's of a global wine program, right.
3: and they really um, the wine team there, particularly um, Kristen, who's the the wine director and manager, and then Kara, who's the head sommelier there. They love finding unusual stuff from the Canary Islands and Corsica and and stuff that's really off the beaten track. And because of the cuisine, yeah, that you can really you can really run the spectrum there. Um, and it's not funky in that the wines are kind of like orange science experiments that are flawed and foisted on the general public by hipsters, but they're just a really wine interesting there. wine. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really beautiful stuff.
2: All right. So we're talking to Josh Nadel. Josh is a master sommelier. He runs the uh, beverage program. Um, Josh, I want you to dig into this a little, and then we're going to take a break, come back, talk about a few more things. And, um, do the uh, wine list and we'll taste some wine. But I'm curious, because you're not an old guy by any stretch, but you've been in the market a long time. I'm curious how you see how things have changed since you've been in the business. And and I have a list of things. You, You know, millennials entering the market, baby boomers, you know, aging out. We just addressed it for a second, how the natural wine movement, you know, plays to you, social media. So has the market changed i mean are millennials a big impact on the market yet not yet not your places
3: i mean i think in new york this is just paradise for for selling wine because there is people are pretty europhilic here and pretty open minded and they've traveled a lot there's incredible information exchange now at a at a dizzying pace about delicious wines so in New York, I think there's been an explosion of exploration and discovery into regions.
2: Does that go under the social media box? Does um, social
3: media drive that a little? But I think it. I think you have people like Ian de Agata and Venice, uh, Josh Reynolds, Stephen Tanzer that are just Galoni. doing yeah that are just doing amazing things, I, um, bringing wine to the people. And then you have people the wine has gotten more expensive. And so people naturally look to what's a little bit more modest and you have places like the Loire Valley and it really, it goes down to importers and sommeliers and, and wine directors and people being open-minded towards all this stuff. And I, I don't really, I think social media maybe is kind of like a, some kind of stamp of validation after the fact maybe and may, maybe it drives a few more people to try things but i think it it, it happens before that and it's, i, it's I been think really you great. make
2: a good case that it happens before yeah. that the people you mention, the way they do it yeah. um you know the passion that they do frankly
3: it the, the the sommelier or the guest does not take that picture of that wine unless an importer goes and finds it unless the person makes the good wine the importer goes and finds it you know brings it to you the sommelier or a shopkeeper now that has to has to choose it and vet it and put it on the shelf and be an ambassador for that wine Um, social media helps but it's not the genesis right don't you
2: think right now there's more importing and importers small medium and large that have really kind of trucked through every French Italian you know, um, Eastern European countryside, and just bringing wine back at like a dizzying it's, pace. It's amazing. I, it's you love that, I, I right? All we
3: have to do is sit here and and make appointments and 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 meet them for lunch or a coffee and choose a uh, chaste wine. It's it's amazing. I think Italy still has a long way to go, uh, and so many stones unturned. As far in Italy. as just people so, needing
2: representation, or just
3: so the, the amount of great wine in Italy, or the amount of good wine that's left undiscovered, is is. Really? It's crazy, yeah.
2: I'm amazed when I go to tastings or portfolio tastings that there's unrepresented people. Y- yeah. Y- you know, I mean, I guess you could well, say. So the world, your- The world only had
3: money to spend on wine 30 years ago, right? Yeah. Go back to, you know, New York was
2: bankrupt.
1: Yeah.
2: So... Do you feel also there's been a proliferation of restaurants? Doesn't it seem like more places are opening and the diversity of food? Yeah. Or or it's it's always seen. I think like- so.
3: I think it's plateauing a little bit. Um, you know, labor laws and, and um how expensive it is. I think we'll see a little bit of a slowdown. Yeah. Um you know, we work a rents, lot. With, yeah, all rent, that rents. Yeah, rents rents are yeah, it's it's cyclical like anything else. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I mean the natural one. We're why, at the
2: high pushing the high end. Yeah, I guess it's, you would it's, say.
3: It's tough. Yeah. It's tough right now. That um i I'm, I'm really glad that people are Making a better living, particularly in the back of the house, it, it had to happen, right? Um, but it's uh, it's a curveball for the operators. Have
2: have soms changed much? I mean, are there any Tim Kopecks left? Well, there's that, only that, there's that, only one Tim Kopecks. But I mean, that kind of guy is that the style still, or it's it's I think it's evolved lo- into something different.
3: There is a lot more younger and kind of entry level sommeliers. There are a lot more sommeliers who think they are qualified to be sommeliers because they have academic knowledge and a little bit less of that kind of apprentice model that I think is the most helpful. You know, when a young, when we take in a young sommelier, the first thing they do is they have to be one of the best waiters in the room. Then they get to play in the wine cellar and unpack boxes and do inventory. Up then the they ranks. get to train the new staff on wines by the glass and things like that. And then one day, when someone's on vacation they get, uh, you know, or they stub their toe, we say, "Hey, it's Thursday. We're short a sommelier. We need you to do this." They just kind of say, "Oh, this is what I normally do. I'm just dressed a little differently." Right. So, so that, a that, good that's thing. yeah. So I don't know if. It's always have changed. I think, I think there's a real amazing capacity to look for new stuff and right. be really open minded. Uh, sometimes changed. to a fault, but yeah. uh but yeah, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't have the kids these days, you know, thing. But there's definitely a, a few junior burgers out there that don't quite have it. That that well, think they do.
2: The, there's the old story, you know, you graduate Cornell as a programmer, you're like a internet entrepreneur. You know, you 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 love wine, and you work in a restaurant, and you take one test, you're a sommelier. It's not yeah, it doesn't work like that. It's not that easy. Yeah, it doesn't work like that. All right, that. Josh, we're going to take a break. We're talking to Josh Nadell, um, beverage director for NoHo Hospitality. When we come back, I have a few more questions for Josh. I want to subject him to our wine list, and Josh brought in a Verdicchio from the La Marque region region which he's going to open up now you're listening to the Grape nation on heritage radio we'll be right back
1: today's program was brought to you by emmy cheese specialty cheese from switzerland made with heart and passion since the early 1900s emmy has been a passionate supporter of farmers Cheesemakers and family tradition. They believe in sustainable agriculture and respect for the people, land, and animals that make their business possible. Remaining dedicated to tradition, they strive to lead the industry in innovation, ensuring they bring you only the highest quality, best tasting cheese from Switzerland. Emmy is best known for importing more than 80 percent of the Swiss Gruyere into the United States. But that's not to overshadow their other specialty cheeses, including Kaltbach Cave Age cheeses, Sharfa Max, Appenzeller, Tete de Moin, and traditional Emmentaler. For more information, visit meusa.com.
2: All right, we're back. We're back with my guest, Josh Nadell. Master Sommelier, Josh Nadell. Uh, Josh, you're sort of uh, an ambassador and a lover of wines from the Alsace. Thank you, thank you for um, that. I actually attended a master seminar that you gave with uh, who was it? Terry Fritch. Yep. Terry, yeah, Terry. And I actually had a chance Tf. to st- Terry <laughs> sit down and interview you guys about Alsacian wines. But like glasses and tables were flying around. So yeah, I'm trying yeah, to figure was, out how to edit that. Yeah. Talk to me about this gravitation or love towards Alsatian wines.
3: Well, for me, I, I love, for white wine, I love wi- white wine with flavor. Um, I don't love neutral uh, white wine, and I don't love white wine that goes into new oak barrels.
2: So obviously Alsatian is wine with flavor. Give me a good example of one that's not in oh, your mind. Oh,
3: you know. You know, the um,
2: classic opposite. Chardonnay. Okay. Chardonnay goes into oak barrels and is a right. neutral
3: varietal. Say and, no and, more. Yeah. Muscadet, um, Chardonnay, stuff like that. Um, neutral varietals. Alsatian's
2: uh, predominantly white, right?
3: Yeah, there's a little bit of Pinot Noir on the right. ground. But Als- yeah, Alsatian wine, you know, because of the rain shadow of the Vosges Mountains, um, gets a lot of sunshine and the grapes can hang pretty deep into the summer and fall. And you don't really have to worry about it. So you have these aromatic varietals, Riesling, Gewurztraminer, Muscat, Pinot Gris. The Pinot Gris of Alsace is a is a totally different animal than, than Pinot Grigio in Italy and, and Pinot Green Oregon, for example. And um, so I love uh, Austrian wine that has a lot of ripeness to it, Alsatian wine, unadulterated by oak, which I think is better for pairing food. Uh, and and it also has the most complex geology uh, so you have half a dozen different varietals. You've got the most complex geology on Earth in which to grow Explain wine. Explain
2: geology. I mean, literally, oh, soil and the granite, stone.
3: Granite, schist, sandstone, limestone, of, everything. And and it's because of uh, the way that the faults worked out over a million years, millions and millions of years and things like that. But the, it's just a patchwork quilt of different soils, even with the same the And same the figure. impact
2: on the wines is crazy. Yeah, it could be anything. From one... Stone, you know, base to another. Correct. It's, I mean, if
3: you're growing blueberries or roses or grapes, it's it's you know, wine is very romantic and foreign to some people, but it's 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 gardening, right, at a very high level.
2: So give me give our listeners a little intel. Give me one or two recos of producers that are accessible. Mm. Um, give me a variety. And yeah. Yeah. So some
3: of my favorites, uh Ostertag, Boxler, Weinbach O S
2: T E R, O S T A G,
3: T A G. yeah, Ostertag. Weinbach with a W, okay. W E I N B A C H Boxler, like a Boxer with right. an L uh, A few that come to mind. Um And they're
2: making Riesling Yeah, the Riesling Pinot
3: Gris, Gris um, Gruner. No, Gruner is an Austrian.
2: It is all Austrian. Yeah, yeah. Okay. um
3: Pinot Gris, you know, Zinumbrecht makes great wine. There right. there I mean there are so many and uh Barma's Boucher, uh, Albert Mann, there are so many fantastic producers. Trimbach, if you want kind of like a more lean taut style, that makes such fantastic wines Botgeil. that it everybody always concentrates. Chofit's dice they they concentrate on the big four: this Zinnumbrecht, Trimbach, and a, and a few other ones in Weinbach Plus. But there are so many people making fantastic wine there. Damn. That's
2: that's where and when you go into a wine store that you like and trust, that you ask yeah. a little better and say, yeah. "I want to try this stuff," yeah. and yeah. it will have yeah. stuff beyond the big four and all of yeah. that. Yeah. We would yeah. hope. Tell me about other regions that currently are exciting you or you're tasting um, anything new? Or.
3: Well, I think there's a, yeah, I mean, I just got back um, from Le Marque and then we'll talk about that when we taste right. this Verdicchio. I think the, the upper regions of the Lange, it's so above Barolo and Barbaresco, Barolo, Barbaresco, getting expensive, getting tough to find the great wines and, and the areas north of that uh, which, which focus on, the Nebbiolo grape, um, you know, Gamay, Gattinara, um, a few places up there. Bramatera is a place that I like quite a bit. Um, they're very tasty. And the wines are Valtellina
2: is another place in Lombardy. Um, so you, are, you're outside of Barolo. <clears throat> yeah. Would you say you're north?
3: Yeah, the northern where the soil is a little less. Is
2: that, Lange? Yeah, La- that the, uh, the Langhe? Yeah, the the upper part. L a n g h e, right? Yeah, the upper yeah. part
3: of the Langhe. Lange. Lange. And, and, and quite frankly, Barbaresco is very delicious too, and and less expensive and easier to get
2: at. What than. about like Barbera d'Alba, d'Asti?
3: Yeah, those are those are fun everyday wines. Um, I think they're very consistent. They're they're a little bit less. You know, if you're asking me about what things that are at the top, tip of my tongue for most exciting. Um, not that probably not going to be at it, but I, but we serve a lot of those wines, and they're great right. everyday table wines um, i i the the wines of Campania are very exciting to me right now um I think they're the
2: Talk to me about some of the grapes in Campania. Well, by far and away,
3: there's a grape called Aglianico. And Aglianico is really the third great red grape of Italy besides Nebbiolo and Sangiovese. It's a A
2: thick-skinned... A-G-L-I-A-N...
3: A-G-L-I-A-N-I-C-O. So Aglianico.
2: Aglianico. Correct.
3: Yeah. Small clusters of thick-skinned grapes and gives a full-bodied red wine, which usually goes into oak barrels with a dark color and you know moderate plus to high tannin and, and these are things that mm. lovers of full-bodied wines around the world um, can easily identify with it's it's the way i feel about bandol uh, the oak aged Morvedra from uh, from southern france right and if p- there's it's very difficult not to like these wines it's a little bit more austere on the palate than a juicy california cabernet we're having it with food it's fantastic and um i think there's the wines of Campania and Basilicata that are made from Alianico are are going to be some of the most accessible, full-bodied, Give age-worthy me some red producers. wines. Um, you know, Basilicata. There's a producer, producer Grifalco that I like quite a bit.
2: Spell for me. Uh,
3: G R I F A L C O. Grifalco. Yep. The, in in Campania, um, there are various producers of Taurasi, which is T A U R. ASI—that's that's really the great red wine of southern Italy. Right. Um, many producers—you really can't go wrong with with just that wine. Just a
2: Tarassi from Campania is yeah. a great play.
3: That's—you just start there and, and go. And, and it's
2: a big bold red wine, correct. right? Just give me yeah. a quick food pairing. It'd be great with.
3: You want the the meats, uh, lamb, barbecue, steak.
2: lamb, steak, yeah. juicy burgers. Yeah, and
3: I, I think you should have. You know, I'm one of those people who don't think, who thinks you should drink what you want how you want it but that's that. the texture of that wine is tough without food no question about it um, so
2: Tarassi is a great food wine yeah great full but body but goes up wine. against big foods
3: yeah for sure um, Verdicchio you know, I just got back from this area on the Adriatic coast and I think you know the, what I've what I said to the producers that we were uh, hanging out with there, and um, you know, I have I have Ian Daggett to thank for setting up this magnificent thing he put together called Collisione. It's it's a fantastic, a kind of collision of art and music and food and wine and things like this. Americans love Italian stuff.
2: We know it, but we don't necessarily. And back at you, which I, is I, that... why they. You know, France, yeah. you get a little attitude. You yeah, know.
3: I mean, I, I, I love it's, French. It's really the first 10 years of my life was French, 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 and Italian was like, oh, But you're
2: right about Italy.
3: It's fantastic. So we know we love Italian food, wine, cars, design, culture, history, um, everything. I would say that I don't love Italian travel. <laughs> they still have to, they haven't figured that one out no. yet, but so uh, so you go into a restaurant and you'd ring red wine Okay, we had a Chianti. We had a, a multiple channel Brunello Barolo we kind of have an ideal about that Italian white wine and we want to have some white or having fish and salads first What do we have? What is the what of the what is the average consumer or enthusiast consciousness full of when it comes to Italian white wine? Pinot Grigio What else, right? So Verdicchio, to me, is one, a whole lot more complex and flavorful and rewarding than Pinot Grigio. And good Pinot Grigio is fine. Right. Um, Most people don't. Venica makes a fantastic one. Packerhoff makes a very good one. Alto Adige up up north, which is basically, um, it's only been Italy since 1919. Um, Very, very Germanic and everything it does, Austrian. Um, But this grape gives you so much more flavor, so much more complexity, the opportunity to harvest it early or late, and it has a collection of growers there that are that are a cohesive unit who want to increase quality, and I think that as a result, Verdicchio is, is very interesting to me, and it's got a
2: good, well, good we're gonna, bright future. at the end of the show, we're going to taste it, and we'll get into a little more detail. Before we get to the wine list in our weekly wine sip, I want to talk to you about your own wine project, Gothic Wine. Yeah. Gothic Wine is... I'll set it up. It's a winery that you started almost 10 years ago, That's in true. the Willamette Valley of Oregon. Yep. And take it from there. You specialize in in Pinot Noir, and we make a little bit of Chardonnay and a little bit of Rosé from Pinot Noir as well. Why Willamette?
3: Well, we we looked at Sonoma as well. We actually made a little bit of wine in Sonoma uh, the first year in 2008. We just thought the the value was there in the Willamette, and we liked the. The terroir, the, the available water when you want it. And the, the what people don't realize about Oregon is actually it doesn't rain in June, July, and August, which is perfect. They get all their rain in the in the fall and the spring and the winter.
2: During harvest or a little No, after? no, no. After, after.
3: After that that's the only thing you really have to right. worry about there is get your fruit in before the fall rains start. Um and we love the people. We met fantastic grape growers and winemakers. Uh, they were they were very uh, you know very open with us and provided us with a lot of great opportunities there. So we immediately went in and uh, we started with, I like, think we made 900 cases our first year. And we said, you know, if it blows up in our face, we will sell it at our restaurants and we'll say that was fun. And we lost a few dollars. Um, so now 10 years later, um, we, in our biggest vintage, made 7,000 cases wow, of wine. congrats. It we're distributed in 12 or 13 states. We uh, The wines are well received by by guests and sommeliers and, and some trade publications. When we've submitted them for scores, They they do well. And we make. Where it.
2: can you get them in selected restaurants? Yeah, I, I, it's what about re- let's talk New York for starters? Retail, it's available. I think there's
3: there's a few places who have okay. it retail. You know, Bottle Rocket had some of our wines for a little bit. Um, Crush and Midtown had some of our kind of single vineyard. So kind if of you more. want it, it's, it's it's around a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, what? But vintage? it's definitely more of a restaurant. Well, now we're we're selling. 14 reds, I think, and, and we're, you know, I think the rose is why
2: cr- so far back? Is everything in the barrel that long? Or,
3: no, there are some wines that we don't release you do for a couple of years because okay. it's just it's but it's in bottles, just not ready yet. And we've right. got a, a little bit of the our core wine. 2014 was also an exceptional vintage, maybe the best in, in, recent, in recent memory for Oregon. So, we're very happy to have it since
2: then. What's another good vintage? They've all
3: been pretty good.
2: They've uh, had a good run.
3: W- well, they've had a good run of warm vintages, a little high octane, uh, compared to what they're used to. Right. Um, we're pretty excited about this year getting back to normal so if
2: people want to know more about gothic go to the website
3: yeah check out the website we have a core wine called nevermore uh, my my business partner in this uh, william tigert who owns freeman's uh, restaurant and, and fellow barber with a friend um he has a degree in uh literature for the university of michigan so all the branding and all the all that you know it's, it's kind of like a there's an Edgar, a couple of Edgar Allan Poe references. We uh, we have uh, the Ophelia is our Chardonnay, then Telltale is our Rosé. It's uh, kind of you go to Oregon and it, it's you get a of,
2: writer and a lithographer together and <laughs> that, like, yeah, that's what happens. <laughs> right? you know? But you
3: go to Oregon, it's foggy. It's a little kind of evocative of gothic kind of stuff. So, right.
2: Yeah. So that's gothic wine. Yeah. Um It's very uh, it's very delicious, delicious, well curated uh, Pinot Noir and a little Chardonnay. All right, Josh, time to subject you to the wine list. All right, let's do it. Let's buzz through these quickly. Don't dwell on these, all right? All right, so the first question is, what are you drinking now? What's sort of on your table at home or you're tasting through at the restaurant? Could be seasonal. You know, I'm not saying what's your favorite. I'm saying what are you drinking now?
3: Drinking a lot of Syrah from the Northern Rhone. I love those wines. There's a softness to it. There's just a deliciousness to it. Um, Give
2: me a favor, too. um, First region cornas saint joseph no
3: i'm more of like a coat Rotier hermitage Cote- saint joseph guy
2: okay give me um, one or two uh you know
3: going on is a fantastic saint joseph harder I'm not, to get not, than not ever. reinventing the wheel there um the uh the wines of um actually a new 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 producer for Saint Joseph, session that uh my Spell. friend patrick capiello is bringing in ceci double okay just uh, just beautiful wines and, and it, Reasonable, yeah, yeah, reasonable. Young, I don't know how much of it is out there, you know. I I love, I love Roti, so aromatic, uh, so beautiful. And Hermitage is wine that's you know needs a little bit of yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Who else?
3: Uh, I like the wines from Forie, F A U R Y. They're a little bit different. They're not quite as like um, you know the geeks don't love as much. I just think they're delicious though. All
2: right, those are all great answers. So Northern Rhone right now. Yep. I'm with you on that. I saw Dustin and. Thomas yesterday, uh, yeah, and they're launching Rebol coming up. Yeah, coming yeah. up. part two. Yeah, which should be nice. All right, Josh Nadell's favorite wine and food pairing. Does it exist? Is there something you like go back to? I mean, I
3: I love everything with lamb, red Burgundy, Barolo. My my marriage, so take is, lamb and my, just and, and throw good wines yeah, at it. I my my like the my cor-
2: lamb is the canvas. The yeah. wines, okay. Yeah, nobody's courtship. ever approached that question that way. I like. Well, I that.
3: mean, my also my my courtship with my wife was based largely on that.
2: Okay, yeah. nice to hear. Good story. <laughs> All right, can you tell me your favorite wine restaurant and or bar? And you're not going to leave anyone out. You're not going to insult anyone. It's just where do you find yourself, or who do you look to that has expertise, selection, service? towards wine this is in the u.s in, in new york yeah i okay. mean
3: new york yeah. is okay um uh you know i like seeing pascaline at racines racines uh, you is know, a favorite her, her wine list is is amazing right now her food you know i liked i loved her previous chef and of course paul's Paul a pretty amazing talent and you know i'm often around tribeca soho yeah and those kind of areas so I, I would say she's kind of her spots are my go-to I, I,
2: I agree with you on that it comes up often um Josh Nadell's favorite all-time wine or two? Is there one that... Or give me an experience or something that just stands out.
3: Uh, I mean, I have a couple. Um, give me a couple. we got to go recent, quick. Some recent, some old. Um, favorite Bordeaux of all time, uh, either 59 Lafitte or <laughs> 55 Mission Orion. That's my um, birth year. 55? Yeah. Yeah, I, I used to, um when I worked at Veritas... Our Christmas party, the second year, the owner at the time, Stephen Verlin, told me to go downstairs and get the, was a six liter or something of, of 59 Lafitte Jesus and Christ. open it for the staff at our Christmas party. Jesus. I still have the empty bottle out on display. That's how Lafayette. deep this
2: guy's list was. He was the Bordeaux the, guy. The no,
3: he was the all good wine guy. He, he just had all the good wine. Okay. But um, it was at the time, it was $25,000 on the list. I'm sure it's probably, probably 20 times that now. Yeah. It's um, crazy. But uh, and he opened it for the staff at our Christmas party,
2: it's right out of the original wood box. So that's an incredible wine, incredible vintage, and an incredible sort of Memory. experience. Yeah. So we'll take that. All right. All right, tell me the best wine around fifteen twenty bucks retail that you would recommend to my kids for a dinner. Hmm. Give me a red. Give me a white. You can give me the maker, you can give me the region, like you could say Loire or whatever, not Sure, sure. I mean,
3: I I, um, I think the best... I, I res- was recently having a conversation with somebody and I I, I declared something to Floyd and May- Mayweather of wine. Um, okay. The wine's from Proditorio del Barbaresco and they have an entry-level wine. They're quote-unquote Lange Nebbiolo. Um, I, I think their, their crew, Barbaresco, are probably the best wine... When you're talking about, like, really ambitious, age-worthy wines, maybe the best wine for the dollar in the world.
2: When um, you say the crew, like the Rabaja, the, the Isilio, yeah, those, yeah, but the, then they make a non They make a basic
3: Wabresco, but, but, bes- but they make a language Okay. okay, And that's a wine that I don't know how much it'll cost you, but probably under 25. Okay. Um, and that's... Killer for that. Extraordinary. Right. Extraordinary. That
2: plays um, way up. Give me a white.
3: Um, um And, uh... You know, and for the red, everybody else is going to talk about... A lot of people are going to talk about crew Beaujolais, but those are going to be expensive now, too. I know. You know, they're... they're you could still find stuff. I don't know stuff. what the hell happened, but good, good Beaujolais is killer. Yeah. Um, for white, uh, for just, you know, the... Uh, Alsatian wines are a little expensive for that. It's tough to get the good ones. You know, Domain Weinbach makes a Riesling called Cuvée Theo. Uh,
2: All right, so stop theorizing about what we can't get. Know, Just give me something. The,
3: uh, there's, there's actually a Verdicchio from Felici, F-E-L-I-C-I. An Italian um, Verdicchio, yeah, yeah. Felici. Yeah, you can get that, that 20-ish? 15th. Less, Okay, less. And that's a wine. I think he's one of the really, really talented young producers there. Um, and
2: we're, we're going to taste yeah. Ridiculous. Yeah. So we'll I'm talk about, it, you know, yeah. the characteristics yeah. All right, so good job there, Josh I'm Glad I we'll passed post, the post. Yep, you had some good practice About 19 years worth um, We're going to post your answers On okay. our social media All So right. people, uh, if you're interested As always, oh. we'll put them there <clears throat> All right, last segment of the show Weekly wine sip uh, I'll bring a wine in most of the time I ask my guests because they have access And expertise to bring in stuff so we taste a different wine on air for our weekly wine sip this week. Josh brought in a Verdicchio. We have about three minutes. Sure, we're gonna talk, taste, tell me about the wine.
3: Well, um, you know, Verdicchio. Of course, I just came back from this trip, um, and Verdicchio has this interesting capability to be harvested early and be delicious, or be harvested later and be delicious. And like I said, I'm full full disclosure. I like ripe, luscious. Uh, later harvested white wines. not sweet, but just full of sunny right. flavor. Uh, and this is a later harvested Verdicchio from Tenuta del Ugolino. And and I recently started getting a little bit more into organic and naturally made wines that were not flawed, but just made it. People are getting better at making them because they have more right. experience at them. This fin- is a good example of it. Yeah, and this is a good example of an organically certified vineyard where they use a little bit less uh, than commercially uh, practiced SO2 and things like that. And they're not using... Adjuncts or nutrients and things like that, which which make which which leans this wine a little bit towards more towards the organic and things like that. Um, so it's a later harvest of Verdicchio, and as I'm sure you can tell, it is full of flavor and sun and, and ripeness. Yeah, it's unadulterated. I mean, let, let's, by evaluate, let's
2: start with color. It's a beautiful <clears throat> golden yellow. Yeah, it's not like it's a, not a light Pinot right, Grigio or right.
3: and it has no. It, you know, it's not. It's not quite. Uh, pale straw with, no. with a lot of green. It's got almost a pale yellow or, or, or golden color, and that's because the grapes have a little more color in their Let's go and, nose. Yeah, Give me your nose, we're, we're You know, we're all about the, the really ripe center of the honeydew
2: here. Okay, so honeydew, ripe, but ripe. Pe-
3: not like the, oh shit, I just paid $9 for a little plastic container of underripe near the rind melon. Okay. And pears, and really ripe green partlet, partlet pears, and and some some lemons but they're kind of confit lemon peels they're not like zested or anything like that so
2: non food like any minerality stony or not a lot of that yeah i mean I,
3: I it's you know that's very subjective also but you know to me there's there's a wet rock and 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 when i talk about mineral in a wine it's 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 that it's not so sun drenched and not so oaked and not so messed with that there isn't room for the wine to give you a sense of where it's from or how it was grown you know, rocks don't smell or taste like anything. Right. So it's a little bit more than that.
2: Right. Right. Um, let's go mouthfeel. To me, it's a very plush, nice, mouth filling wine. I mean, I go medium <laughs> plus or something. Yeah, it's a medium, for... maybe
3: medium plus bodied wine, yeah. and it's it's round, it's not super mm. lean or mean. Although there is crisp, like moderate plus acidity to the wine. Good and acidity. it would be great with food, but it's there's a ripeness and a lushness to the wine so that comes Give me
2: palate. Do the, does the nose transfer to the palate?
3: Yeah, I think there's some some even more ripe fruit here. You could even go into like yes. a like a mango situation. There is a little bit of what I call a laziness to the wine, which is a, a yeast contact uh, with the wine that like on the finish, so like a nut skin or something like that. But um, really, really beautiful ripeness. For, right. To me, this is about ripeness and sunshine, but not oak.
2: Right. All right, we got a minute left. What foods would you pair this with?
3: Um, you know, salads, cheeses, seafood.
2: Okay. Um, we don't like this wine. We love this wine, right? Yeah, I this love a this. Delicious wine. Yeah, I think it's and, and it's
3: it's uh, it's a beautiful wine, and it's actually not so currently imported to the United States.
2: Great. <laughs> so just tell everyone again what it is slowly.
3: Um, it's the Tenuta del Ugolino, right. um, uh, Verdicchio Cast. Verdicchio di Castelli di Aesi, uh, Classico Superiore, and that's important when you're looking at Verdicchio's.
2: I'll put a, a, a photo of it, too, when we post it. And it's a,
3: a single vineyard here, Vigneto del Baluccio, and that's important because the vines are quite right.
2: old. that's why I'll do a picture. All right, Josh, we did it. We did it within the hour. You did the wine list. We tasted right. wine. We got you through everything um, all right so if you have a question suggestion wine happening or event hit me up at sam at the that's sam at the follow us on facebook at the Grape nation follow us on instagram at s ben ruby and follow the hashtag the Grape nation on Twitter at Ben Ruby. Also subscribe to the Grape Nation podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. We'll post Josh's wine list and the weekly wine sip selection on all our social media sites. Josh, if we want to follow Josh, where do we find him on social media?
3: I uh, find me on Instagram at Joshua Nadel.
2: Okay, and Noho Hospitality Group. If you want to know no- more about it, they have their own website, Noho Hospitality. Um, You can go to that. All right. Thank you to our guest, Master Sommelier Josh Nadell. Thank you to our engineer. We have Matt today, Um, and I think we're going to be seeing him a lot more. And thank you to everyone at Heritage Radio. I'm Sam Benrubi, and you've been listening to The Grape Nation.